Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another fun episode of the Lunatic Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Edwards, and here we talk everything about St. Louis sports from pickleball in our last episode, uh, getting back into our traditional sports here with the Cardinals Blues and, of course, your St. Louis City soccer team. Some exciting things going on in the world of the Cardinals. Uh, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, finally, finally. Wayno got number 199, and we're going to talk about that. Back, like it's so, I wanted to talk about this so much ever since last night that I almost deleted out the weekly recap portion of this show just to give myself more time to just talk about the fact that he won number 199. I almost did like an inning-by-inning inning breakdown. Like it, was, it was way over the top, well out of the scope of, of this podcast. I, I was surprised you didn't cut out my intro and just didn't start with, Hey, we're going to talk about Wayno and didn't even tell the people right. who we are. Right. Just like hit record and just go like me straight into Wayno, just like cutting you off during the <laughs> intro. That's really what I should have done. Uh, maybe if, if he gets the 200, uh, I will do that. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't wait. In fact, I'm just going to jump right into the recap. I'm not going to let anything else go on. I want to get right to Wayno. Uh, so since we last talked, we completed a series against the Braves. We completed a series against the Reds and we completed a series against Baltimore tonight. And we went two and one against all three of them. And uh, one of the things that I really liked about each of these series is that we won some games that earlier in the year we would have lost. And I'm not going to lie, against the Braves especially, I was having some PTSD there in our wins because, you know, we put up 10, and then you just see the Braves, five. Now they've scored six. Now they've scored seven. And I'm like, this is, this is, this is not looking good. This is, this, is, this is really rough for us. But we pulled it out. And then we had a couple of really close scoring wins. Uh, one run wins against the Reds um, and against Baltimore. So those are games that we definitely would have lost earlier in the year. Um, the other thing I really liked uh, about the last two games in Baltimore that I'm going to give a quick shout out on, because otherwise we won't say it, is that Palacios had to step up big last night and tonight, uh, had two home runs last night, replacing Gorman in the first inning, uh, and then had another home run tonight, which was the winning run, the only run in the entire game. So a few weeks ago, you asked me, did we fix him? I don't know if we did, but it sure as hell looks like it. Here's here's an interesting, fun tidbit okay. around Palacios. So after the game, he confirmed that in his baseball career, high school, all the way to the major leagues, last night was the first time he has ever hit two home runs in the same game. That's impressive because high school outfields are, are kind of small. And, uh, you know, they start the steroids earlier on some kids, so... You and you get those aluminum bats there in, in high oh, school and yeah. college. So Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, uh, usually pitchers are a little more likely to hang one <laughs> in high yeah. school too. Well, yeah, and none of them know how to throw a slider yet, basically. So, yeah. Um, that makes our total record right now 65 and 81. It is still possible, although not likely, but possible that we uh, go 500 on the year. You know, we just need one of those typical Cardinals devil magic runs here, get another 16 wins, and uh, and we end 500. Um, but can I go ahead and throw out that I don't want that to happen? What, <laughs> there is a thing called season? the draft lottery. No, I want the yeah. draft lottery at this point. If we're not sure. going to get there, I'd like to get a pick, chance at a top pick. Yeah, yeah, that's. 
That's a good I'm point. I'm all for playing spoiler and ruining Baltimore and Atlanta seasons. We're not but, ruining their seasons. Yeah, that's fair. We're ruining I don't know. Season. Baltimore is the the Rays are coming for Baltimore right now, so they're still in the fight for their division. Yeah, yeah. That's a fun division. But I can't, we're gonna talk about that being, division in a minute. Yeah. With that being said, I really would love the chance for the Cardinals to get a top pick. And we know we're not going to be the worst team in the league. So we're good there. That's that's true. We have uh, <laughs> we have succeeded in that. And for anyone who likes to keep up with our bets, we are only five wins away from meeting 70 wins and you owing me uh, a to be determined prize. Uh, so, yeah, just had to share that. OK, on to Wayne. One ninety nine. Go. Yeah, get a drink first. All right, so the vocal here's cords. here's my here's my big piece with this. So, <clears throat> Wayno got 199 last night, and I am pumped. After watching his start in Atlanta, I was questioning what he had left in the tank, and not that he couldn't be an effective pitcher, but that he could be an effective starter, and make it five innings. And then last night happened, and I swear to God, I was on the edge of my seat the moment he left the game through the end. Yeah, I have never absolutely. been more nervous for a three-run lead in my life outside of like a playoff or a World Series game. And even then, I'm not sure if it computed compared knowing what was at stake for Wayno here. Yeah, I mean, there have definitely been games that we have, have been more in our seat for, right? There were seven of them in a row in 2011. Right. <clears throat> but well, maybe not seven over in a row. Game three, we Albert Pujols just owned that game. But still, it, it, it was on FC. And it, he also, he did not particularly pitch well, but he got out of it, which was vintage Wayno. I mean, walked the first couple of batters. Scares. Yeah. I think, and you you saw it when he played. What did him in against Atlanta was Atlanta has one of the most dangerous, not even the one of the most, I think possibly the most, the most dangerous the most. lineup in Major League Baseball. He gave up four pitching. solo home runs. Yeah. Four. Mm-hmm. It's not like he was loading the bases and giving up base hit and line drive and this, that, and the other. He had four solo home runs he gave up against Atlanta. And it, the one encouraging thing I saw in the Atlanta game is that his curveball looked to have the bite that he needs mm-hmm. it to have for him to be an effective pitcher. Right. Because when he has that curveball that is dropping and getting into the bottom of the zone and into the dirt and pitchers are, or hitters are fooled by that, that's when he's able to throw what he calls a fastball, which, you know, is 88, 89 miles an hour. But when he's able to to use the use that and then sneak those fastballs into the top of the zone, it does throw them off balance, even though it's not, you know, 103 miles an hour looking at you, Ryan Helsley. So yeah, he, he looks he looked great. Uh, he looked great last night as far as getting out of stuff. I honestly thought his stuff looked better against Atlanta. You know, so you, you brought up a good point there, and I, I just pulled up his baseball savant page because I thought it would do a game-by-game breakdown or that I could do – ah, game logs. Let's do that. Um, no, that's just stats. I don't want stats. I want the actual – Look at suck. John doing research on the fly or attempting to. I'm so, to, yeah, I was going to try to With that being said, on Wayno, he does have 
three starts left this season. He needs to get one out of three. And I am hopeful, but not optimistic. I'm I'm optimistic. Getting, getting, I mean, because no, like, think about it. You're in your head. You're having a rough year, right? A really rough year overall. You know, he already probably was like, I should probably not come back, but I got to get to 200, blah, blah, blah. And he's just probably not felt good for the last few months, mentally, physically. It's just been hard on him. And to get this one, like, okay, he's like, you know what? I can still do it. I can still get out of these jams. I can go out there and I can get, you know, all I got to do is is stay within myself and I can get some of these out and, and I can do that. Um, and so I think he's set up to pitch home against Milwaukee next week. Yep. On Monday. Um, and then at San Diego on Saturday, the 23rd. And then as it stands right now, his last game is the 29th. And I think they're going to stick to that because they announced today that he's going to be a country music star and play a concert at ballpark village on the 30th. So I can't imagine that he's going to pitch a game and then go do that on Saturday. And I'm sure he's not going to go have his little concert and then pitch on Sunday. So, you know, I wouldn't put anything by Wayno. And here's, here's a question for you. Okay. If he doesn't, if he does not hit 200 on Friday night, do they bring in hungover country music star Wayno? If it's a tie game to try to take the lead and like a seventh inning on Sunday. Yeah. What's he going to do? Blow out his arm. <laughs> Who cares? Right. He's retiring. He's retiring and the season's over. You know what? I, I could see Adam Wainwright being like, you know what, coach, give me the ball. You know, put me out there. I can do this. Um, I don't know. I had not oh, considered Uncle that. I had not considered that. But now I really want that. Now I really, really want that. Um, Honestly, even if even if he's already hit win number two hundred, I want to see a hungover, drained yes. looking Adam Wainwright from yes. partying all night in his concert try to throw ten pitches and get out of an inning. Absolutely, and get one high batter leverage, out. A high skip. leverage situation, you know. <laughs> that is like that is some old school baseball shit right there because you know all those guys from the twenties and thirties were, were hung over at least half the time going out there. I mean, I think Babe Ruth made a whole career about being out of being drunk every day. So honestly, if they had, if they had more, more weed, Babe Ruth probably would have been on the weed too. Yeah. Oh, almost certainly. Okay. Good old Mary Jane. Now I have a 10 second. Yes or no here for you and I'm setting my phone up because I didn't add some of the things that I wanted to talk about into the document because I wanted to know these things but I didn't want you to know these things before I asked this question so it's really going to be probably like a five minute yes or no so first off yes or no Wino gets to 200 wins I'm going to say yes because I'm a true Cardinals fan and I'm a Wayno fan and I want everything to do with Wayno to happen. So I'm going to say yes. I think I think he gets it at Milwaukee. Here's the thing. Milwaukee, for being first in the division, is not a dominant team. They don't have oh, no. a big hitting team. 
You go to San Diego, and while San Diego has some big bats, they are not. They're one. It's a pitcher friendly park, mm-hmm. but they have not played up to their standards, and they they're susceptible to being fooled by good pitching. And Adam Wainwright's good at fooling people. And then lastly, I think the emotions are going to be running high against Cincinnati. I, I have to think he gets one of the three. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I Watch him go out and get all three of them. That would just be. God, <laughs> if he finishes with 202, uh, I'm going to call him up and ask him, let him know that if he ever leaves his wife, I'll marry him. That's fair. Okay. Next question. Yes or no? Because this is the whole no bleep podcast alert. The whole fucking point of doing this year. He gets the two hundred wins. Does he make the Hall of Fame? Because a lot he's going to make the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Well, yeah, first. that's that's a cop out. Okay, the the big one. But I think if he makes it. It's on his last or second to last year on the ballot. Yeah. Well, and he's also, you know what, though? If Scherzer and Verlander come back for another year, he could get in right before they get on the ballot because it's when they're eligible that he's going to be behind them no matter what until they get in. But there's been, you know, it's put on by the sports writers and a lot of the sports writers like numbers that they can say, look, we're being objective. And that's, you know, the whole point of the 200 wins. And part of what led me to this thought here is that one of my coworkers made a statement about him having come back this year and basically ruining his career stats. Okay. Which kind of got me thinking and looking at it. And I knew that the 200 number was the thing. So do you think going, retiring a year ago, Okay, going 195 and 117 is materially different than being, say, 199 and 128, which is what he is right now, or 200 and 130. You think there's a big difference? The losses number doesn't sound as big difference. And that's the thing. They're not looking at the losses. They're looking at the the wins, the Ws. I think in the biggest thing here, that is potentially holding Adam Wainwright back. There's two things. Mm-hmm. One, he was hurt in that 2011 World Series run that season, yeah. and which is what part of what made that seize that World Series run mm-hmm. so amazing is that Absolutely. we did it without him. Absolutely. The other thing that is hurting him a ton is that he doesn't have a Cy Young. But the problem is, is that he should have had a Cy Young. Yes. If you guys remember <laughs> that we had two of the top three finishers and. A lot of the sports writers who, again, like to say they're objective, Mm -hmm. would only vote for either Adam Wainwright or Chris Carpenter and wouldn't vote for them both because they were on the same team. And so Tim Lincecum slid in and won a second straight Cy Young when realistically that should have been Adam Wainwright's Cy Young Award. And so I think think if, if enough of the writers... Or an, and they look back and they're like, oh, well, he didn't win Cy Young. If they look at that, and I mean, he had other top three finishes as well. I think he had right. one or two other top three finishes. They look at that too. They look at uh, top three finishes a lot of them. Do. He's, he did, one, he should have had one. And he, again, deserved to be in the top when he was in the top on those right. other ones. So objectively, I think they they should put him in the Hall of Fame. 
I think there's going to be one of two things. One is he's going to sneak in if sure. before Scherzer and Verlander and them slide into the onto the ballot, or it's going to be they're going to go and then he's going to sneak in a couple years after them. Yeah, I think he gets in, but I think it's going to be first or second ballot. If it's first or second ballots, because there's not a lot of other pitchers on the same year as him on that ballot, mm-hmm. or it's going to be the end of the ballot after the players like Scherzer and Verlander get voted in. Yeah. Yeah. Last, that was way longer than 10 seconds. Sorry. That's no, no, there's one more here, uh, which speaking of uh, his stats. Okay. This is the last one. Tell me if you think these numbers feel different. This is ERA. Okay. <clears throat> So at the end of last season, his career ERA was 3.38. And it's probably not going to change very much now, but right now he has 3.54 is his career ERA. It feels different, right? And it's not, it's it's a, it's a 0.16 difference, which I mean, across 2,600 innings is really. But what you hear is you hear three, three and you hear three five. Yes. But he was on the exactly. upper end of three three and the lower end of three five. Yes. But because yes. you hear three three and three five, you feel like it's a much bigger right. difference than it is. Right. Especially because then you think, well, it's just above three five. But it, in my mind, good pitching is less than three point five for the ERA, right? Like like a three point four is like I'm like, hey, that's a you've had a good year, you know? And like it's when you get above that. Yes or no though, you take you would take three pitchers this year that have ERAs at as starting pitchers that hit mm-hmm. ERAs at Wayno's career average. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's really, I don't start <laughs> thinking like you're having a, a, an okay to less good year until you hit four, but like 3.5 to four is, is, is okay. Less than 3.5 is, is good to me. And and then under three, it starts getting into the elite territory. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I also, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think he may, I, I want him to make it, but I, I that, that number, the way I think about that number changes. It does. I, I think, you know, you think about the, the great, a lot of the greats, and they, they all have those kind of years that balloon some of their numbers right yeah. at the end of their career. That's and that's true. usually their that's sign true. to stop. Not many of our, not many of the great pitchers say, you know what, I'm going to stop right here. And my career ERA is 2.9. No, they're going to have a season mm-hmm. where they throw a, a bunch of pitches. They're going to have a terrible year. They're going to throw seven or they're going to get injured. And that's when they retire. And that's where the big difference is. So I think he still has a shot even at three, five. Um, and I think, you know, he, not only does he have the numbers, but he's got the big high leverage moments, <laughs> even going back to when he was a young kid and the 2006 world series and Isringhausen went down who stepped up and, you know, one of my all time favorite <laughs> baseball moments, the Cardinal killer later become the beloved Cardinal player, <laughs> Carlos Beltran at the plate. Right. The and Cardinal absolutely killer, that's so freezes true. him absolutely freezes Beltran with that curveball to end against the Mets and the Mets and us were, I mean, we were going back and forth and to watch Beltran just freeze on that curveball and us to move on to the world series on that. And then again, by the way, uh, shout out to Verlander here. Uh, When we destroyed Verlander's (laughs) 
Tigers in the World Series. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's some good things there. And he does have the World Series ring. And even though he was not playing, he was a very big factor in the clubhouse of that 2011 team, mm-hmm. even yeah. though he doesn't have the the stats to necessarily go with it. Right, right. Okay. Well, I think we have to move on to our miscellaneous Cardinal stuff just so we can get out of here on time by the end. So... <laughs> um, <clears throat> quick stat updates things that we've learned about some of our younger players um i'm gonna go first so gorman okay he is the first cardinals player in his age 23 or younger season to hit 25 plus home runs and there's a if he hadn't gotten hurt he probably would have hit 30 this year but he's he's hurt right now got hurt last night which is what let palacios in i think at this point you have to shut him down for the year was was pujols 23 in his rookie season is that why there's that caveat i think he so that's a good question because now i'm gonna go look up his rookie season because he uh would have had to have been pretty close to that but he wasn't even on the list of like top five guys so he was 21 he was 21 and he hit 37 home runs so i don't know that that's right wherever you that's a a fun one Hmm. <laughs> maybe he was the first since Pujols. Maybe, maybe I, I was like, I thought Pujols was younger than that. So yeah. Either way, we know he was twenty-five. Okay, first of all, Pujols was probably like twenty-seven when he said he was twenty-one, but that's neither here nor there, and I still love the guy. Grown-ass man. <laughs> you know, certain people age different, though. Uh. <clears throat> You know, shout out here. There was there was a guy that I ran hurdles against in high school, and I remember making you know being all state in the three hundred meter hurdles. And this guy was the state champion, and he looked like he was a twenty five year old man. And you know, some people just mature differently and age yeah. differently. And so, uh, it, guy's name was Kerwin Stricker, junior year win state, and then didn't even run track. He ended up going to because he early committed to Mizzou for for football. Uh, and so he didn't even run track our senior year. So I didn't have to compete against him. Lucky mm. me, but junior year, I mean, they got in before that, the guy was, a, he was so fast yeah. and, but yeah, nonetheless, but he looked like I said in high school, looked like he was like 25 and we're all like, yeah, yeah. good luck. Right. So I think Pujols either had that gene or, you know, he was, he was a few years older. Yeah. We'll let or the uh, fans decide injections. that. They age you. He never he never tested positive. So I'm gonna go ahead and say Fair. you know, if he did it, he Fair. did it early enough on and <laughs> That's right. just get a got a jump start before he competed, right? Um all right. How about you tell us about Mason Wynn? Because we've been doing updates on Mason Wynn too. Yeah, so <clears throat> Gorman's done good. Mason Wynn, his defense has looked okay. Now, this is something I looked up, and this was prior to tonight's game. So I don't know if it changed after tonight's game. His defense has looked solid, but he's actually been rated for minus two defensive runs saved on fan graphs. So take that with a grain of salt, but he's got for his last eight games. He's gone four for 29 for quick math there, guys. It's that's under a 140 average. He does have the one home run, three RBIs, one walk, four strikeouts, 
So he's not striking out a lot, right? I mean, yeah, for, for the amount that he's up there, but he's not walking either. Uh, the one stolen base, but you know, if you're saying one stolen base, he hit one home run. He was realistically only on base four times. And of those four times, he did steal a base. If you're stealing a base 25% of the time, that's solid. We do know that he has speed. And I'll go back, and I said this in an earlier podcast. I think the guy just needs confidence. He just needs to get on the base and running the bases, yeah. score some runs. And if that means he needs to bunt for some base hits, if that means we need to get creative on how the coaching staff tries to get him on base, I think we need to do that. I just don't think that... I don't think that Ollie has that type of pe- the information kind of thing in him. That's something I could see Larusa doing. Heck, that's something I could have seen even Matheny doing at times. Uh-huh. But I don't. Schilt for sure. There's no doubt. Schilt would have been like, "Dude, you're fast. Just go bunt it." Yeah. But I, do miss, I don't I know that Ollie has that I in him. I miss Schilt so much. I miss. Do you know? You know, and I, I've said this before. We lost three people last year that were leaders for this Cardinals mm-hmm. team. And we talk yeah. about two of them and not the third. Yeah. We lost Pujols. We talk about Pujols. We lost Molina. And we talk about Molina. The player, the person and former player that we don't talk about losing is we lost Skip Schumacher mm-hmm. off of our bench. Yeah. And we don't talk about that enough. That guy yeah. is down there with the Marlins and the Marlins who have been last or second to last in the national league every year for a while. And they are competing in games. They look good. They look like a different team. Yeah. I don't know how Schumacher was not our manager this year and how we still have Ollie. I think if we could go back in time, Schumacher was the hire for the manager last year, not Ollie, but you know, there's questions to, you know, we can get into that at a later date, but I think that's, that's that's a piece, and I think somebody like Schumacher being in, and think about the way Schumacher played the game would be somebody that would have could have really helped Mason win. Be like, dude, you just need to get on base and just get running. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, absolutely. What about so we've talked about Gorman and Mason win. There's obviously one other big uh, semi high profile player that some people may consider that yeah. uh, Jordan Walker. Yeah. So Walker, now these are his stats for the year because he was here earlier in the year and then they sent him down and you know called him back up and did the same normal crap they do where they let people who are and, and you know they, they have a good point that they're you know well we want to we want to get confidence in some easier pit, pitching and then bringing them back up you know but i'm like he's not gonna get better if he doesn't face major league pitching but they called him back i up. think do you do you want to know why i think they sent him down sorry side note here but they sent him down because Ollie didn't know what the hell to do with his outfielders. Oh, well, yeah, they sent him down because he couldn't figure out who to play and when to play them. Mm-hmm. And that left Walker to getting questionable playing time. Mm-hmm. So they say, you know what? You're in a bit of a slump. We're going to send you down because we don't know what to, else to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Anyway, continue, continue your piece here on his, his stats for the sure. season. So he's, uh, he's batting 272 which is, you know, in today's game, a, a good average. Uh, it's got a 338 OBP, 449 slug. That's a 785 OPS, so that's not quite as good as we want, but hopefully his average will will continue to improve as he gets more use of pitching, and then hopefully he'll also get a little bit better about taking some walks there. Um, I, You know, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to, you know, pretty consistently have an 850, 900 
OPS across his career. Uh, he's got 15 home runs, 16 doubles. And the crazy thing about it is, okay, yeah, this is, is a down year for a rookie season. He's only played in, I think tonight was game number 101. So, I mean, you project that out to a full full season and it puts him up to like essentially a 24, 25 home run season, which is, is you know, for a rookie, like you're going to take that out of anyone you call up for their rookie season. Um, so I really like that. The other thing is there's this fantastic article in The Athletic that I just read, uh, written by Katie Wu, who we are so lucky follows our team for The Athletic because her articles are great. If you don't have an athletic subscription, definitely recommend it. Uh, but he's been working If you defense. don't follow Katie Wu and you like the Cardinals, follow Katie Wu. Yes, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Um, but so he's been working with Willie McGee on his defense, basically putting in the work, coming in hours early before games to get extra, you know, fly ball practice. And the best part about it is, you know, is that you think about this culture of this team and this clubhouse that we've always had, and you know, where it's the older guys trying to help out the younger guys, you know, the retired guys helping out the actives, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and you hear, like, especially among the pitchers, you would hear that a lot about Bob Gibson, especially, right? And we're going to hear it a lot about Yachty in the future. And it's just nice to see uh, Willie taking the time with Jordan, Jordan, you know, seeking him out and trying to get that work and to improve defensively. And I think you can easily see the difference. You know, early in the year, it just seemed like we were just seeing him every game make, make blunders just because he didn't know how to play the position well. And now we're even seeing these amazing highlights that he's doing. Uh, you know, diving grabs, balls that he shouldn't have any chance of getting to, but he does. I mean, it helps to be six, seven and really, really fast, but still. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a huge, one of the biggest bright spots on our coaching staff right now is Willie McGee and having mm -hmm. somebody like Willie. And I mean, yeah. Harrison Bader talked about working with Willie and how to, and lines mm -hmm. and reading the ball and, somebody with Harrison Bader's just immense speed and talent and the amount of things that he was able to take away. Imagine again, similarly with, <clears throat> with Jordan Walker, here's something I want to point out. And this is, you know, looking at <clears throat> Jordan Walker, you said he had a 785 OPS. Mm -hmm. For those listeners who don't know what OPS is, OPS is on base plus your slugging. So it's, and it, we consider and a good player OPS above 800 is really good. OPS above 900 for a season can typically your, your top level talent, right? His Jordan Walker's OPS over the last 15 games is 1080. His over the last 30 games, you want a bigger sample here over his last 30 games. He's at 891. It's good. That's so if you really take out good. the beginning, you take out the beginning of the year when there was a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of things flowing around. He's a rookie adjusting to the the major league talent here. You take a lot some of that away, and he's been an elite hitter. Yeah. Now, since he was called, this up, is his rookie year. Called back, and up. he's yeah, he's 21. We do know that he, you know, he was 21 because we checked that to make sure that. Pete Alonzo, who's a big, strong guy, could, in fact, give alcohol to him without potentially committing a crime. So 
He's only 20, but he is only, only, no, that was the, or was that Mason wins? It was Mason Mason Wynn. That's okay. Sorry. I hate to show you up in the middle of your, your thought. It's It's fine. (laughs) Either way, uh, Jordan, well, Jordan Walker, and if you guys didn't know, Jordan Walker and Mason, Wynn were in the same draft class, uh, and they are actually very, very good friends. So if you actually watched Mason Wynn's first home run and when he, the first person who greeted him before he even got to the dugout was Jordan Walker came running out to give him a hug. So exciting stuff there. So, but Jordan Walker, you know, he's, he's a young guy. He has so much talent and he's only going to get better. Mm -hmm. And I think again, he's doing great. He's getting better in right field. Mm -hmm. He's only going to get better. And honestly, he's, he's a much better defensively as a third baseman because that's Mm -hmm. his natural position. Mm-hmm. But I think long term, the big frame, everything he has, he's going to project as our first baseman, mm-hmm. at least for a while until he gets to the point where he can't move as well. Uh, he's going to be the guy who succeeds Goldie mm-hmm. at first base long term. You know, there may be somebody else or some fillers here and there while he's still got good legs on him, but he's going to play first base and he's going to be a stud there defensively with his mm-hmm. athleticism. Think think of prime Pujols with his gold glove winning years. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to say about the Cardinals before we move on to City is I could also see Gorman getting some reps at first base just to to keep him in the lineup um, post Goldie. But that's that's an aside. For I know you that's think he's going to be gone. I, I don't. That's if Gorman's with stay. the team then, and we can get into it. But again, we have we post after the season. Everyone here who's listening, please stay tuned for our debate on what's going to happen with the Cardinals roster as we go back and forth. Yes. I'm I've already started the outline for that. I cannot wait. But anyway, on to city. Less fun. <laughs> more more frustrating. More uh, more it's like they flip flopped, right? We went from the Cardinals being frustrating and City being fun to City being frustrating and the Cardinals being fun. And I will say though that the first half of this game against LA Galaxy last weekend, that was fun. That was really fun for 52 minutes. The first half was a lot of fun. It went downhill in a hurry. And there were some good things there. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we talk about it, but we you and I talked about it a lot, not on the podcast. Right. But Klaus with Klaus Giochini and Big Sam, who plays where in that Big Sam mm-hmm. and Klaus did not have not looked good together. Mm-hmm. This was the first time I thought they both looked good together in the I first agree. half. Yeah. Second half, not so much. Well, I don't think it's that they didn't look good together in the second half. It's that Sam did not look good in the second half. And, and that's, and that's, you know, so, okay. Basically we had two vintage city goals in the first half and a third one that got called back because of, of offside. And this one was really offside. Unlike the one that got called back against Kansas city. But then in the second half, we get this handball penalty. And it's the same thing we talked about last week and the same thing we talked about the week before. And then the week before that at Orlando. And then you and I have had this conversation at least two or three other times before we even started this podcast about the handball situations that we keep finding ourselves in, where they're called differently every game and they're always ruled against us. But you, you know, you, look, yes. you watch the video and it's, I don't disagree that this is a handball. I'm upset that 
similar ones that have happened to us, more egregious ones that have happened against us have not been called. Are you talking about potentially Sporting KC and AZ mm-hmm. Jackson? Yes. You know, just exactly a week prior. Just a week yeah, no, prior, I, yes. Yeah, well, and it's it's just, this is... We did, okay, so there's that. And then there's the yellow card for it, which is the referee's decision on if to call it. But for something that is very much clearly an incidental contact that he's trying to avoid, to give out a yellow for that... And, you know, my first thought is every time I've seen this this particular ref cover our games, I've always been – he's been one of the more frustrating ones for me to watch. Um, and I don't know his name. I don't know anything about him. He just has seemed frustrating to me. Um, but, but to get that yellow. But that's not why we lost the game, right? Or It's not. We, we tied. We tied didn't the, lose we the game. We tied the game. We lost the win. We lost the win. Because Sam, eight minutes later, made a just a horrible tackle and not even in a dangerous position. It was at like perfectly in midfield. And then he gets a second yellow and then he's kicked out. And then we're playing the last 30 minutes, you know, only up a goal with 10 men. And, you know, I really thought we were going to pull it out. And then Marcanic also has a, just a horrible tackle. And then it's a set piece goal, just right in open guy on the back post. Well, you go to the far post, they click send it back to the near post and then he puts it in, but whatever. So I I agree with a lot of that. I think <clears throat> big Sam. And while I love the guy uh, as a player overall, mm-hmm. he doesn't seem, he doesn't fit the, the, typical city mold you think of a guy like klaus who was just working the whole game you think of you know other players leuven blom mm-hmm. the guys that we love that just work their their they just work their asses off the entire game the whole way through big sam is the and you could see klaus like pointing and yelling multiple mm-hmm. times in that game like i need you to step up and pressure so <laughs> that we can actually press appropriately right Dixon chooses his moments and the guy, if you watch the first half of that game, there was a point where like he literally just kicked the ball around the defender and just blew the guy's doors off. That was so awesome. That's vintage. So like, it's not that Sam doesn't have the talent or anything else there. It's that I think because of the, his style of play, Mm -hmm. I don't think he's, if he starts, I think he's somebody you almost have to sub out at halftime or he's a come in at the 60th minute change of pace type player. If Klaus is healthy without Klaus, it's different. But if you have Klaus playing, I think that big Sam is a, you play, you start him, you play him for a half. If you're, if it's a team that you're hoping that's going to play deep and you need a quick counterattack because he does do that incredibly well, but you also have Giochini. So if you had to sub him out at half and bring in Giochini, you're not hurting for something like that. Um, and I think that's, I think that's fair, and I don't think that's a a bad take here, and I don't think that's a slight on Big Sam. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know that we keep Big Sam for another for through next season. I see him as potentially somebody who gets sold off because he's done so well and scored so many goals. Yeah. Somebody else is going to want him, and probably and ideally not in MLS, so we don't have to see his speed try to burn us. No, there's already but I think, rumors for him in Europe, and I mean, you think about it, the guys 
big and he's fast. He's like six five. He's I really want to know what his forty time is because it looks it looks fast. Um, and he's not and, you know and, and you think about every goal he's he's made in open play and then you add in the two that were called back that if you're going to show a highlight reel you're going to put those on because they were all just bangers like every single one of them i was just like oh my god how did he do that and uh no i used to think az jackson would be the first guy we permanently sold to another club and i i don't think that anymore i think az goes next summer and i think sam goes this winter I, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think somebody that, and I've given this guy a lot of hate, way more hate offline than online, Jared Stroud in the first half of that game looked game. really, really good. Mm-hmm. He did. He he looked so much more comfortable on the right side. He is not a left-sided player, and he has no left foot, which is also problematic because there was a couple times he was cutting across at mm-hmm. the top of the box and can't take a shot because he has no left foot and right. i will continue to criticize him for that because it is blatantly evident that the guy does not trust it i i have not played true competitive soccer since sophomore year of high school and i feel like i still potentially trust my left foot more than he does now <laughs> with that being said he did not look good in the second half he was making no some some crazy match. runs and he was doing some things but i think part of his part of the perk of having Stroud on the field is mm-hmm. his ability to just run and run and run mm-hmm. and it looked like by like the 60 65th minute mm-hmm. Stroud was ran out and we needed to pull him off then he did not yeah. look like the same player when Stroud has his legs and can mm-hmm. run and run and run he does frustrate teams and i will mm-hmm. admit that as much as it pains me because I still think Indy Vasilev should be starting over him in the midfield. But I think, I, I think that he does a good job and I think Carnell loves that tenacity Mm -hmm. and that ability to just get after people, but he did not look good. And Mm -hmm. from the outset of the second half, he did not truly look like the same player he did in the first half. Yeah, I think that brings up a good point and is like a good segue for us um, with the subs again, because this is like a weekly topic for us. In the last couple of weeks, we've had positive things to say about the subs. Um, There were some negatives last week, but, you know, positive things with the subbing decisions. And this week, I just I can't I don't have anything positive to say about the decisions that were made. You know, the first sub we made was at the 72nd minute. Okay, so let, let's walk through the second half, just the timeline. So handball and PK, 52nd minute, okay? Yep. Red card, 60th minute. First sub mm-hmm. is Nico for Klaus at like the 71st, 72nd minute. Then we do three subs at like the 78th, and we bring we take Nielsen off because Nielsen, you know, they were worried he got hurt, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, they take Leuven off, and then they bring off AZ at that point. And they bring on Hebert and Yarrow and someone, someone else, not Indy, not Indy. But anyway, um, then at the 90th minute, they sub out Stroud for Indy. And so I'm just like, okay, first off, what we need to do in this situation is not just boot it back to them, which is a great thing to do, right? When you're trying to play a low block, just keep sending it back into their third, let them run back and get it and try to build it up again. Sure. 
But like there are times when you can really run the clock down by just having someone who's calm with the ball. And then when they get close, then just does that line breaking pass all the way to the back to do that. Right. Almost every guy on our team um, has this when they get the ball, even if they're technically skilled with it, they're very fast with it. Right. They're very spastic. They're very quick. They're trying to like move quickly. And that's why they're effective in our system. And we don't have anyone other than Leuven and Klaus that can really kind of hold on to it and carry it if they choose to. Now, Klaus is. Can I name somebody who can do that? Indy Vasilev and Celio. Although Indy is very Celio. quick, but Celio was who I was thinking. Celio Pompeo can. Who did not come in. He would have been. He would have Perfect. been a great sub for sub what we need for this game. Yes. And, and might I add that he was on the active roster to be yes. subbed yes. on Sunday yes. for the first time in several games since right. since the Club America game, which right. remind for our listeners was when we played Club America, Celio and Leuven were the only two players on the field and Leuven and Spurts, mm-hmm. not even the whole game, were the mm-hmm. only two players on the field that even looked like they belonged on the field with Club yeah. America. Yeah. And then Leuven, like... Lupin is the other one who really can carry it well. Indy can carry it well, but he's too, he's the, like the ter- standard, um, you know, just tries to go too fast all the time with it. But, and like maybe it's minutes management. I don't know. But like this is a game where like you're trying to see out the end until that tie is gone. I really feel like they should have left Lupin in. They should have made the other subs quicker. Um, you know, and I, I'm maybe I'm a little too aggressive with pulling people out when they get a yellow, right? But like, and it's easy to point it out afterwards, but like it was clear Sam was frustrated. And I feel like they should have just subbed him out shortly after that yellow. Especially because I also it was clear he now. was he it was clear he was frustrated. It was also clear that in the second half he was he looked gassed already yeah. and was putting himself in questionable positions. The one that I potentially struggle with more than others too, and it's I think has more to do with the red card mm-hmm. was Marcanic. Marcanic because of the way that he plays after that red card in the 70th minute is himself out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely ran himself to death and ended up creating a dumb foul because of the way mm-hmm. that he plays. He is not a player. He should have been subbed out earlier on after the red card because of the way he plays, because he runs so much. He right. actually looked good defensively up until yeah. late in the game. Yeah, he got gassed, and similar to the way Big Sam put himself mm-hmm. in a questionable position, Marcanic started putting himself in questionable positions. Yeah. I wish Carnell could have seen that and brought yeah. in Hebert and gone to a back three sooner. And I say that also knowing that I've ripped Hebert a new one, but we brought on Yarrow and Hebert because you know Nielsen right. came out with the groin. I would have, in a perfect world, would have loved to have seen us move to a back three. Mm-hmm. And move, you know, <clears throat> move uh, Parker or somebody over towards the left, or mm-hmm. leave Nielsen on the left and Parker in the middle right. with Yara on the right, because we did need the speed with all the new su- the extra mm-hmm. subs they were bringing in. Right. But look at the way that the Galaxy brought in these subs, these fresh legs, mm-hmm. and it still took us another 15, 20 minutes to respond. They have fresh legs and are running yeah. our defense down. And I feel like Carnell just waits till after we're already beat down. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I should have probably made started having these guys warm up when right. I saw who they had warming up. Right. <laughs> yeah, he, he likes could have to, made the sub five, ten minutes earlier. 
he I feel like Carnell's approach is is very reactive. He likes to see what they do and he likes to try to counter what they do. Whereas I think the approach you and I would like to see is a more proactive approach with how do I change the game and force them to respond to what I want to do? How do I enforce my will on this game through my tactical decisions? And that's that's how our entire team is built for like that we start that way. But why are we not doing things like that when we do ourselves? Here's my biggest issue. I don't think our team is, will ever be designed to play a low block and a defensive well, yeah, holdout. That's the game. true too. I thought we looked pretty good. If you think about it, we didn't allow a goal from open play, and it was you know it was a really bad foul, and I get that. And it was a set piece blunder, etc. But we've been generally very good on set pieces. Um, but I thought, even though it's not how we're going to play every week, I was I was okay with how we played defensively there. It, it was getting sloppy at the end, but I mean, you know, we were bending and not breaking. I mean, we could have easily nine minutes of stoppage time. We could have eased a lot of teams would have ended up giving up a, a goal there and ended up losing that game. I get that. And I, 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 I understand, I get what you're saying, but <clears throat> my issue is, is when you play to not lose, Yes. Yeah. You're playing to lose. Right. And, right. you know, when when you change the way that you play, when you stop pressing, you stop attacking, you stop going for the jugular. Right. And part of a big part of this is the fact that Big Sam was being an absolute dumbass mm-hmm. getting the yellow card and that foul mm-hmm. that put us down a man. And especially you have to know when you have a yellow card, mm-hmm. you can't. I mean, Can't. So you and I have talked about this before earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. The way that Stroud plays, mm-hmm. when he gets an early yellow, it basically pulls him out of the game. He's non-existent mm-hmm. because right. of the way he plays the game. And Speaking so of, it's been a while since he's he at least yellow. understands that. I thought he had one like two weeks ago, but I could be wrong for a uh, recurrent infringement or something. But don't notice. Uh, he did. He did for <laughs> infringement against Kansas City. You're right. Like very early against Kansas City. Yeah, I was City. like. He just had one because he kept he kept taking people down. So right. But with that being said, you have to you have to adjust your play when you mm-hmm. have a yellow. You have to be aware of that. Right. And I feel like Big Sam's not there. My hope is that a big European club will give us a lot of money, and maybe we can uh, adjust the way that some of our weak areas coming up. <clears throat> let's let's uh, late in the game. I do want to call out. There was one painful moment for me. Okay. Thorson gets the ball late oh in the game. Oh How many highlights? God. And by highlights, I mean all of Thorson's highlights. Going down the left side, gets the t- towards the top of the box, cuts across, mm-hmm. puts it on his right, mm-hmm. and then rips a shot. Yep. And what does he do? Tries to dribble past one too many guys, and then the play yeah. just died. Right. All also, I wanted him to do in that moment was rip. A, I didn't. If I thought, he would have gotten support we section, I would have been fine. Yeah. I thought we were scoring right there. I was like, yes, this is this is Thor's moment. He also had a pass from Blum that just like went through his legs and like it was a very promising counter, like looked like a very promising counter. But um, the last thing I want to say about this game. Blum looks like Blum. Uh, yeah, defensively. I, I felt he was definitely he looked like Blum defensively. Up, he still looks. He looks rough. Before, the before the break. Before the break, before July, Blom was the guy. Yeah, before Blom was the guy that the ball hit his feet, and I was confident that he would do the right thing. He wasn't going to lose the ball. He was going to make a pass and move on. 
and he has not looked as strong on the ball. The other big play that just drove me nuts mm-hmm. was there was a play late in the second half. Parker gets the ball, has all the absolute time in the world. Yeah, I remember that. And passed it straight to their team. Now, granted, yeah. I love Parker. I think he's a great guy. Parker Pilsner. Right. Don't 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 hate double, on him here, Parker. Double double. But that Pilsners. was a that was a rough pass to see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay so, we can move on from this game because uh, last highlight we at least got out of we LA with about a point. AZ. Well, we got out of there with a point. AZ's run for Klaus's goal. If you don't like soccer, but you just want to see someone do something awesome, you've got to look up that highlight. Like that was phenomenal. That is like the reason fighting through contact right and just and he's a little guy. He's a little guy. He, to me, he was the man of the match for our team. Absolutely. No doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. He didn't get a goal. He didn't score either goal, but he was the guy who was making things happen in the midfield. Yeah. And it, it reinforced why he's starting over mm-hmm. somebody like Indiana Vasilev. Yeah. Um, the other, I wish I, Indy was getting more minutes. That's, you know, too long of a talk though for this. Um, we mentioned Nielsen going out with an injury. Uh, Want to update anyone who's, you know, wanting to keep an eye on that. Uh, Coach did say yesterday, I think, uh, in his press conference that in, you know, these passing strength tests for it, they haven't done any imaging yet, but he's he's responding very well. Uh, It looks positive that he's not going to have to miss any time, uh, which is great because, um, you know, they pulled him and he didn't want to come out, but they pulled him just to be precautionary. Uh, which after, you know, his recent injury history, like I'm cool with, let's be safe with him. We need him down the stretch. He's been a game changer for us. Um, he's had a few rough moments, um, which will happen if you haven't played for a year, but, uh, but he's looked really good. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about City um, before we move on, we are getting closer and closer to the playoffs. I think we're going to um, – hopefully secure this top spot. Uh, the other teams that are left have to really win a lot of games to catch us. We're seven or eight points clear on the next three teams, depending on the spot. That's looking really good. Um, and then I think the final, final thing we want to say is Pedro. Do you want to take over that? And then we can move on to the Blues. <clears throat> yeah. So, and this is a big deal. So Pedro was the first player. Selmir Pedro was the first player that, St. Louis City signed and signed him to a long contract. Not only did we sign him, uh, he is actually a uh, Bosnian player. And again, we have a massive Bosnian community here in St. Louis. So he has a home in St. Louis. He loves being in St. Louis. He's talked about it time and time again, mm-hmm. how he was able to move to essentially, you know, South City area where there's a very strong Bosnian mm-hmm. community. And it was like living in Bosnia and he feels right. at home. He loves it here. I think that's wonderful. Uh, you know, you and I both have multiple friends that are Bosnian. Mm-hmm. Uh, heck, we have multiple fraternity brothers, <laughs> mm-hmm. for that matter, uh, from school that are Bosnian. Uh, shout yeah. out Ismar if I can ever get you to listen to any of these. But <clears throat> I think moving to the Czech, is, you know, moving to the Czech league is a great move for him. He was really slotted in to be our left back. Uh, he missed it. I don't remember if he got hurt or if he missed a game. Nelson came in, took the job, and really he's not gotten a chance to really win the job back. 
I think, still think, even more so than Markanic, that he's the future of our left back yeah. position. And I think him going over there, getting first team minutes, getting competitive minutes is the best, absolute best thing, similar to the Jensen moving. Oh, yeah, for sure. Moving and getting absolute minutes and being able to know that you're getting minutes, You're they're paying good money. They don't want to pay money for you and then set you on the bench. They're not They're not yeah. looking to pay right. to loan a player out just right. so they can set them on the bench. So getting these minutes and being able to really improve and take some steps forward, I think is going to help Pedro long-term. And I'm not still not sure if he's necessarily our answer at left back next year, but I think right. if you look to the 2025 season, Pedro be. should for sure be our starter yeah. le starting left back. Right. Yeah. So a couple things on that. So yeah, we loaned him to FC Zoom in the Czech Republic, as you said. Um, I think it's going to be a great move for him. So he was expected to be the starting left back, like you said, uh, but then John Nelson was left unprotected by Cincinnati. Uh, and Lutz liked him, so he snagged him. And then in camp, Johnny Nelson played out of his ass and got the spot and then had some struggles at, around the 10 to 12 game mark. Got that red card against Chicago. Heaver comes in. We put up four against uh, Kansas City and have a clean sheet, and Heaver never gives it up. And then we realize, oh, hey, teams are figuring out that we are just keeping the ball away from Heaver uh, in possession because he's a center back who's not used to carrying the ball forward and delivering crosses and all the things you need your fullbacks to do. And then it became, and then, you know, we had Stroud in front of him. So right, we have two right. people who can't play truly play on the left side, playing our left side. Right. And so then we got Thorson and we got Marcanic and immediately solved that problem, which I love. I love that Lutz has that heads up approach and is like seeing, Oh, here's an issue with the team and we're going to fix it now. I, I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I agree. I think Pedro, I think we could see Pedro and Jensen back. I know a lot of people think that it's going to be like the big clubs do where they just loan people out until they leave on a free or they can sell them. Uh, the coach did say that he's getting game footage for both of them. Well, he will for Pedro. He's already getting it for Jensen and like providing feedback and like monitoring how they're playing and how they're doing. And I really like that, that they have that kind of commitment to them and their continued development. I would like to point out that there's there's a reason Pedro was the first player we signed. Mm -hmm. yeah. Lutz and BC were high on him to begin with. Secondly, you look at Jensen. Carnell loved Jensen. Yes. He tried to find a spot for him because he works his ass off in practice. He works hard every day. Yeah. Carnell loves Jensen. The results weren't there when he was came into the games on the first team. Mm -hmm. So I truly believe that Carnell wants both of these players back and ready to play with his team. I agree. I agree. The last thing in terms of like the impact of this is we uh, this year had 10 international players. So we had to acquire two extra international slots. You get eight a year and then you have to trade for more the next year. Uh, at least at the beginning of the year, we will have nine players because Max Schneider will come back from a city two loan to the first team. Um, so we will have to send someone else out or acquire another spot. Um, but then at the next summer and the number summer transfer window, we will have anticipated 11 international players and only eight or nine spots. So we will have to figure that out then. Um, but that's a next year problem. 
that's still something that I struck. I, I love that MLS is committed to growing U.S. born players in their league. Right. <clears throat> I think that the spots need to potentially reflect differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about the number of players you can have on your roster versus, you know, you've got your 18 on game day. I would love to see MLS grow that to 10 or 11 slots per team mm-hmm. to realistically bring, allow player teams to bring in more players, especially, or account for if they have, you know, X number of players on loan, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they're U S born players that they loan out, allowing them additional spots to account right. for, Hey, yeah, you've actually signed a U.S. player. You're loaning them to somewhere in Europe. And mm-hmm. then that follows up by you get an additional international spot. If you, while they're on loan, I'm not saying that's perfect. I don't know how the logistics exactly would work, but I think if we really want to grow soccer mm-hmm. and we want MLS to be the league that, that I think a lot of us really truly think it could be mm-hmm. that MLS needs to address the, the foreign player, right. A, a non U S player spot, the international player spots. Mm-hmm. And We'll get there. It's coming. But I think, you know, as the league grows and I think Messi and, and Miami are going to force this issue a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Supposedly, if players uh, get a green card, uh, they no longer take up an international spot, though. So I don't know what that process is like, how hard it is, but that is apparently a way. Around I have that. no idea. But uh, sign City, call me up if you need somebody to help get players get green cards, if it means we get more international spots. Absolutely. I oh, will right. pay me enough money and I'll do anything twice. Sounds about right. Okay, yeah, I'll try talk. anything twice. Let's talk about the blues. <laughs> let's, let's do this. Blue season's coming up. I'm getting excited. Hockey is always fun. You're wearing your hockey jersey. You're wearing a hockey hat. Let's get into it. Dude, we... Blue season is around the corner. And for those of you who don't know, I absolutely love blues hockey. So we talked and you heard our interview with Sheldon earlier this week. <clears throat> the Cardinals are my all time. They're they're my team, right? They're everything for me. Absolutely. But if you had to offer me, <clears throat> if you were going to give me one ticket to a game prior to St. Louis City getting here, just one game for the, in a regular season game. I was taking a blues game from this. <laughs> Cardinals and Blues yeah, take a blues I was game. Take, I was yeah. taking a blues game. There is something special about the blues, the atmosphere there at the, the arena, now Enterprise Center. It's changed names a few times mm-hmm. over the years. But they are so much fun. Hockey's an incredible sport. I think it doesn't get enough love, although it has gotten more and more love over the years. The winning the Stanley Cup definitely helps. You have yeah. people like Brett Hull getting absolutely trashed and screaming into a microphone at parades. Who doesn't love that? There is a couple of storylines, if you will, heading into the season. So the Blues last year did not make the playoffs, for those of you who don't know. It's the first time they haven't made the playoffs in quite a few years. And that's nothing to scoff at. The Blues have been a solid franchise since realistically the mid-2000s when we stockpiled a few draft picks and then we brought up people like TJ Oshie and David Backus, Patrick Berglund, 
when those guys came up moving forward, we, we've been a perennial playoff team. Mm-hmm. And before that, we were a perennial playoff team, right? You know, I think there was uh, like 26 seasons straight of us making the playoffs. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that that landed us any Stanley Cups in that stretch, but the Blues have always been a solid team. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, we have a long history of captains mm-hmm. here at, with the St. Louis Blues. Most recently, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, David Backus, whose signature is somewhere on this hat. I could point it out to you if I had a few less drinks, but you know, or I took the hat off to actually see it. But Ryan O'Reilly left. We traded him away, and I think that was the right move. Honest to God, I was hopeful we would re-sign him, and we were not that lucky. But they, they have yet to name of captain and Doug Armstrong, who we like to lovingly call Army. Uh, so if you ever hear me talk about a person named Army, that's Doug Armstrong. Army has not determined whether or not they're going to name a captain for the Blue Squad. And I know that you don't need a C on your jersey to be a leader. There's something that comes with that, though. And Ryan O'Reilly was our previous captain, but I think there's only absolutely only one choice for who should be the captain of the blues and honestly could have arguably been the captain of the blues when they named O'Reilly, the captain of blues. And that's Braden Shen. The guy eats, sleeps, lives. He is blues hockey. And anybody who follows hockey knows this. The guy, he leads by example. He, he fights through injuries to be on the ice. He does anything and everything he can for his team. But on top of that, he holds guys accountable. He's the guy who is going to call out the team. He's the guy who's going to tell you that you're doing, you're fucking up and you need to fix it. Uh And so I think if the, uh, in my opinion, they should name a captain and not only should they name the captain, they need to name it as Braden Shen. Do you have any differing thoughts there? No, no, you summed it up perfectly. I mean, he's the clear answer. It just, just go ahead and do it. Like, go ahead and name Shen the captain. We all know it should be him. If you're going to do it, we all know it's going to be him. Just do it. Move on. Sound like a Nike ad there. Just do it. That's, that's exactly it. You know, hey, I'm, you I'm know now what? repping. Also, to I'm anybody... now repping Nike on this jersey. I just want everyone to know that the old jerseys were better before they had these swooshes on the front. But, you know, if I got to rep, I got to, you know, do the tagline. Ad. Boom. So for for those people at Nike who may be listening, if you want to sponsor us, we love you. Please sponsor us. Uh, That's right. <laughs> but the old jerseys were better. No. <laughs> but please move your swoosh to the sleeve. Um, <clears throat> other big news here for the Blues, and this just came out today. Tori Krug is hurt. So defenseman yeah. for the Blues, top four defensemen. They're talking about First of October, first week of October, mm-hmm. they're going to reevaluate him. It's a foot injury. <clears throat> Obviously, if you're skating, you kind of have to be able to use your feet, or so I'm told. But with that in mind, <clears throat> looking at the preseason and potentially early season, because that's when they're going to reevaluate him, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean he's coming back then. And I, I anticipate we will start the season without Krug. I don't see this as a, from what I've heard um, and listened to a couple of interviews with Jeremy Ruthith, Rutherford, and if you don't follow him, JR is the beat writer for The Athletic, but that covers the Blues. So again, mm-hmm. if you don't have an Athletic subscription, here's another guy from The Athletic. You've the Athletic has some great, great people. 
But JR has been talking and he doesn't see it as a, a long-term injury either. And so my guess is he's back by November. So we might have to go, you know, three to four weeks without him, not anything crazy with Krug being hurt and being out. I see this as a wonderful opportunity for a young guy, Scott Perunovic to really step up oh, yeah. and show what he can do. Now the, the big piece here comes is now if, Perunovic is potentially going to move into your second line. Mm -hmm. If Perunovic is playing on your second line and Krug comes back and Perunovic is playing well, you all of a sudden have to figure out what you're doing with Tori Krug because you, you, you don't want to mix up your lines. If you have guys that are playing well together and they're right. having success, you're not right. going to mix up your lines. And, <clears throat> you know, I don't see coach changing that. He's a smart guy. He understands that. And you've seen him when they have chemistry, he doesn't change that. But right. when they, and he's also changed lines because they feel like they don't have chemistry. So he's not afraid to change it. If there's something right. that looks wrong. <clears throat> the other big thing that think of here is, and a lot of the potential starting roster, Callie Rosen's been left out. He's been the ninth defender oh, that really hasn't had a spot. Yeah. Yeah. And this could potentially give Callie Rosen the opportunity to start with the team. Mm -hmm. And I love the way Callie Rosen plays. So I don't want to this to sound like I'm I'm hurt harping on him. But it's true. He has been in a lot of projections our first man out for our defense. And right. I think this gives him that opportunity to prove he can play. This could also, and again, Krug is trying to come back and prove he can still play and be a, a contributing member. He had a rough season last year. I'm not sure if if our team is playing well and these young guys all do step up, that makes Krug an expendable trade trip, and that's not a bad thing if we're hoping to make the playoffs this year. Yeah. Yeah, but I'd hate to Sorry, I kind of took over that whole no, little segment there. No, that's fine, because you actually brought up a lot of things I had not considered I, I'm always just blown away by like the fact that it's that the, the, you know if you want to be competitive you have to be like trading people and as a fan that sometimes sucks you know when a player you like is is traded out um, would hate to see crew go but yeah that's a good point if it if it's working well without them that is definitely you know we have area, other areas we could improve um, yeah. But if you don't want to wait for the preseason and you don't want to wait for the regular season to watch some blues hockey, do you know how you can watch some blues hockey this weekend? Uh, I didn't know there was. Give me, give me the lowdown. So this weekend, we there will be a prospect tournament held in uh, Minnesota that the Blues will be taking part in. So it'll be all prospects, not the first team. So you know, there's that, but it is still Blues players. Um, we will be playing against the Wild at 7 p.m. on Friday and then against the Blackhawks at 6 p.m. on Saturday. So, unfortunately, you and I will not be watching that game against the Blackhawks because uh, hockey or soccer will be on for a good portion of that game. Um, but it's all being streamed on the Wild's YouTube channel. Uh, it'll be a good chance to see some of the younger guys uh, play, especially the Zacks, as I like to call them our former first round picks. We've got some good guys in there um, that, you know, have a chance to eventually make the team. So 
definitely check it out if you want to, you know, see some blues hockey before you can see some blues hockey. No, I think that's great. Uh, I'm definitely going to try to see if I can catch any of that. I'm not going to promise anything. Again, we'll be at the Cardinals game for this first bit here. Oh, God, yeah, but... we will be on Friday. Damn. Uh, for any of our listeners who are at the Cardinals game, feel free to uh, reach out and message us. Maybe we can meet up with you guys and uh, say hi, uh, get some pictures for the Instagram accounts, etc. A fun other tidbit here. Looking at the the Blues defenseman, and I know I said second line, and I apologize for not kind of spelling that out. Colton Pareko and Nick Letty are going to be your top line. That's that's going to be your top line. They talk about, oh, well, Pareko doesn't perform point-wise offensively. Sure. Pareko's asked to shut down the other team's top line. Right. He's not asked to shoot the puck. So there's a little bit of that, what are you asked versus what are you doing? Well, he's doing <clears throat> what he's asked. Um, <clears throat> but you have Justin Falk is the guy that is going to be across from Tory Krug typically. But this is going to be that opportunity for Scott Brunovich to show he can step up and play with Justin Falk. And if that's the case, that line, if Brunovich can show that he can play at the level that he should be able to play at, that line could be formidable and can really be a game changer for for us moving forward. So I'm excited for that. And I think that's something to really watch moving into the season now that Tori Krug's out and really opens the door for Perunovich. I agree. Let's covering everything that I had. What do you have? Uh, I have no more drinks. So I think that means that it's about time to uh, wrap things up. So for those of you who are listening and have enjoyed our content, uh, please make sure to like and subscribe to any of our videos. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Go find us on Instagram, Twitter. <clears throat> Excuse me, I say that every time. X, but we all know that it's truly Twitter. And as well as Facebook and like those pages. Facebook is probably where we are currently most active as far as a, our pages, but we do post things on the other social media sites as well. And we're looking to do some giveaways coming up in the near future. So if you guys like jerseys, hats, etc., for our St. Louis sports teams, we will have some of those giveaways and we're going to be looking for those subscribers and those people who like and follow us. John, any final thoughts before we get, check out of here? I was just going to say specifically, if you like this hat, this will be the first giveaway. It is not the one that I am wearing on my head. Don't worry. It is a clean one, unworn, uh, but we will be giving it away on Facebook soon. So if you like this hat, please stay tuned. It could be yours. And that's it. All righty. Thank you guys for listening. And once again, we're the Lunatic Sports Podcast, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.